Thinker and author Phyllis Tickle said that the church is due for a huge Reformation-style rummage sale, an event that historically has happened every 500 years or so. She says we're living in a time where the church needs to closely examine everything it does and ask why it does it. The church is changing so rapidly that to ignore the change is at our own peril. What must the church do in this new and foreign landscape to revitalize its reason for being? Hi, my name is Dan Dick, and welcome to another episode of Church Matters. Thanks for joining us today for part one of this two-part series. We're talking about radical change in the church and how the church should respond. Joining me in the studio today is Dr. Stuart Blythe. Stuart is the rector at the International Baptist Theological Seminary in Amsterdam. Originally from Scotland, Stuart has a PhD in homiletics from Edinburgh and calls himself a practical theologian. Prior to taking on the role of rector, he was a pastor of Baptist churches in Scotland. Stuart has a strong interest in Anabaptism and the congregation as the center of God's mission. Stuart was keynote speaker at the Leadership in Ministry Seminar February 9th to 11th at Canadian Mennonite University. Stuart and his wife have two adult children. Welcome to Church Matters, Stuart. Dan, thanks. It's good to be here. Stuart, I attended your presentations and was intrigued by a number of comments you made about the church. You've stated that the church has a choice. It can define others or it can define itself. In the context of that statement, my question is this. Is it more important for the church to understand what others think about God or for the church itself to understand what it thinks about God? I think that both are important. Understanding what others think about God is important. But if you're asking what the starting point is, I think the starting point is the church understanding what it thinks about God. We all look at things from a perspective. Uh, We need a place to stand. And by encouraging the church to explore its own understanding of God, what we believe, I think gives us that place to stand. It allows us to enable that place to stand to be critiqued. But in addition to that, I think it's what we understand about God that will actually shape our practices and our behaviour rather than what others think. So I think both are important, but the priority of the starting point is what do we actually understand about God? How would you rank the importance of a pastor interpreting Scripture for a congregation versus a pastor discerning Scripture with a congregation? I actually don't think pastors ever interpret Scripture for a congregation. And what I mean by that is those of us who are pastors may think we are doing that, but the reality is if our goal is that the congregation will somehow embody that, they will respond to our interpretation by accepting it or rejecting it. And therefore, while we might think we've interpreted it for them, in fact, they're making their own decision about it. So I think ultimately the congregation is always uh, responding to an interpretation from a pastor. Therefore, for me, it makes much more sense that pastors actually uh, interpret Scripture with a congregation. If our goal in the interpretation of Scripture is to change behaviour and to change community life, I think that ultimately that has to be done together. Now, that's not to say I don't think pastors don't have a role in bringing ideas and in bringing interpretations, but they should be offered then for the congregation to actively participate in the interpretation of that. Otherwise, I think congregations simply make a yes-no choice and don't engage any further. I don't think that's a good policy, no matter what. In our context here in the West, though, I think that congregations often 
um, are looking for authoritative stances on Scripture, and they're looking for sometimes black and white, tell me how I should believe. Yeah, I think we have to educate them not to do that. Or, or let me put it a different way. I, as a, a preacher, I believe strongly what I preach. I believe passionately in the ideas I share. But I understand that these ideas are really me bearing witness to my engagement with Scripture. That means that I can preach it passionately, authentically, honestly. They are the ideas that I hold. Yet I have to acknowledge I could be wrong. I have to acknowledge that the congregation will make what it does of those ideas. And I have to acknowledge that actually Jesus, not me, is the Lord of the church. And therefore, I think it's good to be able to to encourage a congregation to to understand that uh, a pastor may indeed come with strong ideas and strong beliefs, but they should never be final. And they should always be provisional and open to participation of the congregation for the reasons that I've said about, well, not least the fallibility principle. As much as I hate to admit it, I know I can be wrong. Does congregational discernment always mean congregational agreement? I actually don't think so. The, the, The reason I came to think about this was in the Scottish context. In the Scottish context, as many people will know, last year we had a referendum on Scottish independence. One of the the things I was doing, I was still in Scotland at that time, one of the things I was doing was to trying to encourage congregations to discuss this issue together from a theological perspective. One of the things that people come back to me and would often say is, well, you can't expect us all to agree on this issue, or they would say it's a matter of individual choice. Now, that may or may not be the case. But what I was saying to people is, but surely at the point, even when I as an individual go, to the voting box to put in my vote, I should have had a chance to hear the voices of those who I claim are my primary community, the church. I should at least have heard their concerns, their hopes and their fears and to consider how they might then impact my individual uh, decision. And for that reason, I I don't think that that a a congregational discernment has to lead to the point we might might all do the same or agree the same thing. What we might actually come up with is, in fact, we're all free to follow our own path individually, but doing so, hearing the voices of one another. So the answer would be no. I don't think it always has to lead to agreement, but I think it should lead to us as individuals at least being informed by the views of others in the Christian community. I think some folks hearing you say that would say, but doesn't that just lead to or even uh, exacerbate or complement the individualistic consumer society that we live in? In some senses, I, I think it it may. And I'm trying to respond to that in a sense by not forcing upon a congregation the fact that they all have to agree on something that often they think is an individual matter. So I would also qualify by saying that we may well be surprised that when we meet to have that conversation that the living Christ, in fact, brings us all to a common mind. So in a sense, part of the process of communal discernment is, is this an issue for us together or is this an issue that we're free to decide on as individuals? That is part of the process. So I think it's it, it's tied up within that. And that, I think, avoids saying this is simply about us all having our individual opinion. I think it's about us coming together and saying, on this issue, is it a matter of individual opinion and conscience? That's a corporate decision. And then what do we do with that? So I think it avoids that a little bit. We are living in a postmodern time when people are aggressively questioning assumptions about culture, about identity, history, and language. 
At the same time, many Christians and churches are still wrestling with how to work in a post-Christendom society, where Christianity is neither the official religion of the state nor the dominant religion of the land. It seems to me that in many ways, the church continues to interpret scripture and itself through the lens of Christendom and all the powers and assumptions associated with Christendom, even though it's been said now for some time that we live in a post-Christendom age. Does the church continue to interpret scripture through the lens of Christendom? I think it probably does. And and I think it does that. I think in my context, I realized, and when I realized that I thought how silly I was in some senses, I realized that when I read the Bible, I read it very individualistically. So when I read, for example, let's say Colossians, I read Colossians speaking to me as a person. Now, I should have known because I'd studied and done theology that, in fact, Colossians was written to a church, to a community. So I think I, I've often read the Bible quite simply as an individual rather than and ask the question. And it's not an, inv, an unvalid, non-valid question. I've often asked, what does this say to me? As soon as you begin to ask the question, what does this say to us? It changes that quite considerably. It's a tiny thing. And I think likewise, when we read the scripture, perhaps think about bearing witness if we, if we use the language of mission, whatever does that mean, I think we still tend to operate from an idea which is if we put on something good enough, people will come. And that to me is a, a Christendom understanding that what we're really doing is competing for Christian people to make their choice as to what flavour of Christianity they want. Rather than the context in which we are in is that they are not coming and it's no longer about flavour, it's about the very idea of the faith itself is contested or rejected. And I think when we read the Bible, we haven't, it's at that level, we haven't quite got over the fact that we are a marginalised group in the sense of our significance and that our starting point is much further back. So I think when we read it, we still read as though we are the people who define for the state what Christianity is, whether or not they actually come to our church. Whereas I think, in fact, we, we have to realise that, first of all, this word has to speak to us, and then we have to bear witness to it. But we are bearing witness to people for whom this is a strange word from a strange world. So then how can the witness of the church be most clearly seen and heard? Humble confidence and confident humility, to me, are important. And that's about not ever trying to force our views upon other people, but bearing witness to the views that we believe to be important and important for us. And in turn for us, as far as we are able, I think the claim of perfection we, we need to kind of reject, but that we are a group trying to work out honestly what it means to live in keeping with some of our own values. And by authenticity, that also means that we should be putting into practice some of the things that we are claiming are important. I think if we don't put them into practice, we just leave ourselves open to critique. And I think that critique is absolutely valid. Stuart, thanks very much for coming into the studio today and sharing your insights with me and with our listeners. It's okay. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. That completes part one of our two-part series about radical change in the church and how the church can respond. Join us again next time for part two. We always welcome your feedback to the program, and we love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. 
Wrap up your email with a ribbon and dash it off to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We also accept your phone calls and financial support for this program at 1-866-888-6785 or you can visit mennonitechurch.ca and click on the donate link. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.